a town, I'll never let you down. You taught me how to laugh and how to cry. I'll never wander from you, good old Nina Town. I'll stay with you until the day I die. Come on, let's have a time of jubilation. Oh, Nina, won't you let me hear your cheer? Nina, don't you know you are the reason? The town we all hold so dear. I can remember, I can recall those distant days when I was oh so small. Those times have changed, those days are gone. I'm older now, but Nina's still the one. Oh, good old Nina town, I'll never let you down. You taught me how to laugh and how to cry. I'll never wander from you, good old Nina town. I'll stay with you until the day I die. So many of the people that I know now have sung your praises to the skies. Nina, don't you know you are a treasure? And there's no need to wonder why. I can remember, I can recall those distant days when I was oh so small. Those times have changed, those days are gone. I'm older now, but Nina's still the one. Oh, good old Nina town, I'll never let you down. You taught me how to laugh and how to cry. I'll never wander from you, good old Nina town. I'll stay with you until the day I die. Oh, good old Nina town, I'll never let you down. You taught me how to laugh and how to cry. I'll never wander from you, good old Nina Town. I'll stay with you until the day I die. Absolutely fantastic opening to our program. That was the late Joe Hackett and Nina Town. And you gather, of course, I am in Nina this week uh, doing Down Your Way show. Uh, absolutely brilliant. I'm here at the castle, a magnificent monument here in probably close to the centre of, of the, the town of Nina. Kevin Whelan is with me. Kevin, the coordinator of th this business here, uh, absolutely fantastic place. Thanks very much for coming, Eamon, and you're very welcome on this fine, frosty morning. And you see Nina Castle at its best with the beautiful blue sky in the background and the sun blaring down. Yes, yes. Just before we kick into this beautiful place and, and all of that, the music at the top of the programme, the late Joe Hackett, you know him well. Uh, Joe's a, a legend in Nina, and it's terrible sad that he has passed. He had a wide variety of songs. He came home from England 40 years ago. He was a professional singer in England. He had a fantastic voice, and he sang at every occasion. It, the whole place had stopped just to listen to Joe, and he sang beautiful songs like Dear Old Nina Town and uh, all the Tipperary songs, and he had a beautiful voice, 
and it was sad that he passed away, but we gave him a good send-off. Kevin, what a beautiful place. I'm here in the, the main reception here in Nina Castle. The walls are rather thick around here. Well, the walls in this tower right now are 16 foot thick and they taper off up to 11 foot at the top. And it's just made of um, rubble, really, just limestone, sandstone that was quarried locally mm-hmm. where Sally Grove Estate is now opposite uh, Tesco's and it was carried up there by the slaves and the stonemasons uh, put the tower together. Well, it's been a magnificent job with this tower. There's tons and tons, hundreds of tons of stuff here. Oh, absolutely. And this is one tower of what was five towers linked together by a big curtain wall. And then there was a wall around the town. So it took a long time to build this. We reckon about 20 years. But uh, they had great workforce, great engineers, great stonemasons, carpenters, things like that. Mm-hmm. So what is the reason for a tower like this in the town? Well, this was the main living quarters. Uh, it was the butlers, as we know them, of the butlers of Ormond. This was their main castle before they moved to Kilkenny Castle. And they would have lived on the third floor, and the soldiers and the knights would have lived in their own quarters out around. And... Uh, this is where they conducted their business from. And, you know, peace agreements would have been signed in here. They would have had conflict with the local clan, which is the O'Kennedys. And, th- of course, Ireland that time was uh, covered in beautiful forests. And hunting was uh, the Anglo-Norman's favourite pastime. So we had boar and deer and the rivers were teeming with fish so they had a a good lifestyle here in this area because the land is fairly good and all like mm-hmm. so they picked a, a very good spot to there are thousands of acres around here oh they would have like um they would have it stretched from laura right down to kilkenny and north wexford so that you're talking about the thoroughless area down into care and cashel all that oh they had a huge uh, domain and uh you know, the Clonmel would have had their own little place and Thurlis had their own castle and things like that. Mm-hmm. So this was known as the Barony of Ormond. Okay. So I gather there was a, an army around this place, minding it and keeping it safe? Oh, there would have been because each uh, baron, or in this case the Earl of Ormond, he would have his own knights and they would have had their own soldiers. And the deal was uh, th- they got this land but when the King of England, which was Henry II at the time, if he was at war with France or Scotland, he could call on the butlers to help him, and they would send all their soldiers and knights over to England to help. So that was the deal. You get the land for your backing. How did you get on with other, other barons in different areas? Well, mostly they got on okay. Now, in later times, there was a lot of infighting between the barons over land and other issues like that was a couple of rogue um, Earls of Ormond, Black Tom being one of them. He wasn't too popular. He started a lot of conflict with other uh, Anglo-Norman uh, barons as well. So he wasn't the most favoured of the butlers, but he was a bit of a rogue and people took to him for that. Did anyone ever try to take this building down? Oh, several times. This castle was attacked on several occasions. Now, because it was stone, and gunpowder hadn't been invented, it was impossible to take it. But later on, when gunpowder became uh, available, 
Castles like these became obsolete overnight. They were just sitting targets, like Cromwell's army arrived here and he put his cannons around it and he gave the butlers two choices, either surrender or suffer the consequences. Now the butlers knew what the consequences would be, so they did surrender. But he still executed some of the butlers because he didn't keep his word to them. Uh, during the Willamite Wars, William of Orange's army arrived here and they arrived with gunpowder and the castle was intact, but when they left, it was flattened. They absolutely bombarded it. Um, so it's left as it is now, with just the ruins after the Willamite Wars. The O'Briens of Thomond attacked it as well. Now they burnt the town and the village, or the town and the houses are around the castle. And the O'Briens lived in here for a while. Thomond starts around Board Hill. Mm -hmm. And as we know, Thomond Park and things like that. And uh, uh, Onro O'Neill attacked it one time on his way back from a meeting of all the clans in the area that we call Bray now. And he attacked Ross Grey Castle on the way here. And it's recorded he killed all 375 inhabitants, including men, women, and children. He then marched on to Nina Castle and we know he took Nina Castle. He didn't want it, it was just an enemy castle. He camped up around the silver mines with his, his army and he just took Nina Castle. And um, we've no records of the casualties, but then he marched back off again. So there was no one really to fight this guy when he arrived in town, were there? No, because you see, the native Irish that time, we'll say the O'Kennedys, they lived in glorified mud huts with thatched roofs. They wore flimsy, linen-y, tweedy clothes, they wore kilts, soft shoes. Their favourite form of combat was hand-to-hand -hand with knives. And they rode a uh, horse's bareback. And um, although they were said now to be very proficient at throwing stones, they could take your eye out at 100 yards. Now, I don't know if that's where the Tiberi stone throwers come from, <laughs> but uh, that's recorded anyway, that uh, stone throwing and hand-to-hand -hand combat with knives. But the guys who arrived here, the Anglo-Normans, they arrived on huge horses. Uh, they had um, they had uh, steel helmets, chainmail suits, big leather boots, and they had this thing called a saddle and a stirrup, which made a big difference going into battle. And they had far superior weaponry. So the Kennedys would never have a chance against them. Although they did fight them on several occasions. Absolutely fantastic story. I'm with Kevin Whelan, curator here at uh, Nina Castle. We're back just after these. Indeed, you're very welcome back uh, to Down Your Way. I'm here at Nina Castle this week. Uh, a special guest on the programme is Kevin Whelan, curator of uh, the castle. Kevin, we were just mentioning there ab ab about the castle and the whole structure of it and all of that. And the, the gap right here where we're sitting in the, in, in the reception area. Yeah, uh, actually, what you're looking at there is a breach in the wall where a man called Solomon Newsom in 1760 had leased all the land around here from the butlers. And uh, he planted corn and wheat in the fields outside, but the birds nesting in the tower were coming down and eating his corn. And he thought long and hard, and how would he solve his problem? And he came up with the idea of blowing up the tower. So where you're looking at that hole now, he packed that with gunpowder, which was very expensive at the time. And he lit the fuse, stood back and waited. He got a big bang and just a hole in the wall. 
because the walls are 16 foot thick and they weren't stern for no one. And uh, thankfully to him now, he gave us a grand entrance into it from <laughs> in on the basement floor yeah. because the original entrance was around the back and you had to go up a flight of stairs into the first thing. So where that entrance is, lets you right into the basement or the dungeon of the castle. I suppose this was a different, we're here, as I say, in the reception area, but this wasn't the reception area in, the, in years past. No, this was, uh, it's called, what they call an oubliette dungeon. It's a French word, and oubliette means to forget. So there would be a hatch up there on the ceiling we're looking at. Prisoners would be dropped down in here and forgotten about. Okay. And they would send slaves down then every two weeks or whatever to bring out the bodies. Did we just drop down, no food? No food, no light, no water, nothing. It was just, uh, I don't know, some people say they had this uh, weird sense of the, you know, they were devout Catholics and they didn't like to break the commandment, thou shalt not kill. So if you drop down here and they close the door and you, you died of natural causes, they didn't kill you. Oh my God almighty. How many people would have been dropped down here, I wonder? Does any have any, any idea what kind of figures we have? Well, we've no definite figures, but um, it you'd ha have to be very uh, much hated by the butlers to be dropped down here. Uh, they had a law system which worked to a certain degree, but if you were aggressive towards them, mm -hmm. you had a, a terrible fate awaiting you. So you could be talking about dozens, more than hundreds, yeah. Okay, this is the historic part of Nina, really, for the most part, and indeed right across the road there's another historic part. Yeah, that's the, what we call the Heritage and Genealogy Centre now. It was the old county jail, because, um, because Tipperary was so big and long, it was impossible to police, so they divided the county into North and South Riding, and they made Nina the capital of North Tipperary Riding. So it needed a courthouse and it needed a jail, and they were built simultaneously 1842 and 1843. So the old jail uh, was quickly filled up. Um, on the very first day of the trials, there was lads sentenced to Australia, deportation for stealing sheep. Uh, there was one lad up for the killing of his father-in-law and he was hung outside the gates six weeks later. If you were a woman during that time, God help you. Uh, one woman was deported to Australia for stealing a reel of thread. Another woman was saw, or said to have been drunk downtown. She was arrested, brought to court, and she was deported to Australia because they needed a big influx of women in Australia to work and to repopulate the, the, the region, you know. So it was tough on women. It wasn't a good place to be a woman, was it? No, certainly not in those times anyway. But what the, the, the young fellas used to do, because it were during famine times and there was mass um, evictions and poverty, drove the, the, the young fellas into town looking for food and work and things like that. So what a young fellow would do when he came into town is he would commit a crime, like he might break the window of the police station to be put into jail. Mm -hmm. So he, once he was in jail, he got a pound of bread and a pint of milk twice a day or something like that. I know we're going to see uh, see that part of, uh, on, on the programme, see that part of uh, uh, history as well. But the stairs going up to this place, uh, to the top of this tower, yeah. tell me about it. Well, it, it is a feature of all Anglo-Norman castles. They always built their stairwells in the walls in a clockwise direction. And the reason being, uh, 90, 
percent of the population is right-handed. And so if I'm being pursued up the stairs, the guy following me cannot swing his sword because the ceiling is impeding him. And I can stand over and cut him down. And the steps then are called trip steps or stumbling steps in that no two steps are the same height or width. Again, the thinking behind it is, if I'm being pursued in the dark up the stairs, I know every step I need to get to the next floor to slam the door. The guy following me will trip and fall on his way up, giving me that few seconds to get away. And that's a feature of practically all Anglo-Norman castles. Mighty idea, whoever came up with it. I should were great engineers. The DeMarcos, as we call them, uh, were the engineers for here. We now would know them as Morris and Morrissey's. And they l- stayed around here. They lived in Latra and Bursican, and there's still quite a lot of descendants around. Of course, the view from the top is uh, excellent. You could see into different parishes all over the place. Yeah, and like you can look right over to the Devil's Bit and uh, right over to the Portrue Hills, the Silver Mines, Temple Derry, right out to the Shannon. I always get lads, people from Clare in here wearing jerseys, and they're always slagging me about how great Clare are, and they're always beating Tipperary, and I'd always say to them, going up to the top, i say, when you go up to the top now, look over towards Portrue, and you'll see lots of things glittering in the hills. And they say to me, What's, what are they? And I say, they're all Ireland medals. <laughs> and that shuts them up then. <laughs> Terrific. Uh, tell me, what, uh, of course, this is a tourist attraction for many people all over the county and probably yeah. all over the country. Yeah, you'd be surprised now. We get people from the queerest parts and the far distant parts of the globe. Uh, about a month ago, I had two girls in here. And their English was broken and I was trying to describe to them and give them the safety instructions. But when they came back down, I started talking to them and asked them where they were from. And it turns out they were from Brazil. And we have a small uh, population of Brazilians here, mostly working in the meat factory. And then relatives of theirs come over and what have you. So during the conversation, I asked, are you from Rio? And they said, no, we're never in Rio in our lives. And I said, at a carnival. They said, yeah, we've never seen that. See, we don't realize how big these countries are. Rio was something like a 12-hour flight from where they live. So I said, and where do you live? And they said, the Amazon rainforest. Mm-hmm. I was stunned. And, uh, like, talk about culture shocks. And she described what it was like living there. And she says, when they're going out, on a daily basis, whether it's to pick berries or collect food or anything, mm-hmm. they have to watch out for 22 different snakes that want to bite them, you know. <laughs> and so it's, it's a huge change. And I love hearing about things like that. Another man came in to me uh, just after COVID, and uh, I asked him where he was from, and he said, Nepal. And he was a consultant inside in the University Hospital in Limerick. And we got talking, and I asked him how was he adopting to Irish culture, and he loved it, and he he really couldn't understand this fascinating fascination with hurling, especially Limerick hurling, because they're going so well. And I just asked him, by the way, does Nepal have a, a national sport? He said he doesn't really, but the biggest played game from where he comes from is elephant polo. 
So you learn something new every day. And it's fantastic to meet people like that, to find out different cultures. This is open 24 hours, well, say, 12 hours a day or 8 hours a day? No, it's only open from 10 in the morning till, till 4 in the afternoon, all year round. Though. Yeah, And the grounds are used all the time with beautiful uh, gardens here attached and all. So it's a lovely place to come and relax and visit. Yeah, and then, of course, you're the man to take him on a guided tour. I'll take him on a guided tour, and I do historical walking tours of Nina as well. So, mm -hmm. like every other parish, town, village, townland, there's history attached to everything. People just didn't land in a place for no reason. For some reason, they're there. Mm -hmm. And every place has a beautiful local history. What's your thoughts here every day at this place when you look around at this magnificent building? Well, I look at it as it would have been in that what we are looking at now is bare stone walls. These walls would have been plastered in white. Tapestries would have hung on the walls to heat the place. They burned whole trees at the time in the fireplaces to keep it warm. The windows would have been covered in, in furs and skins and things like that. They had no glass back then, so what they done was they would kill an animal, let's say a horse or a beast, and they would get its intestines and it stretch it out on the ground and peg it to the ground and let the sun come and dry it. Come back the following day, lift the pegs, stretch it again and let the sun dry it. And keep doing that every day until it became firm and transparent and they cut it into the shape of the window. And that was the glass that they had. And uh, then they covered that with skins and furs to further insulate it. Kevin, uh, Kevin, we're going to have to take another break. It's really a pleasure uh, to be here. I know you're going to take me across the road and there's lots of other places to see. That was Kevin Whelan. And indeed, uh, he's going to take me to, to, the, to the jail that was all those years ago. We're back just after these. Indeed, you're very welcome back to Down Your Way. I'm here in North of the County this week. I'm at Nina. Nora Mara's with me. How are you doing, Nora? Hello, Eamon. You're very welcome here to the North Tipperary Genealogy Centre. Absolutely terrific. Happy New Year to you. Many happy returns, Eamon. Yeah, terrific. Uh, it's a very worthwhile uh, part of County Tipperary. People looking for the stories of their families and the history of them and all of that. So this is the place to be. This is the place to be, um, Eamon. I'll just tell you, first of all, what we do. The North Tipperary Genealogy Centre, it's run under the auspices of Tipperary County Council. And we provide a research service for people whose ancestors originated here in North Tipperary. And um, I suppose uh, we get a huge amount of uh, foreigners, uh, mainly North Americans, Australians, um, New Zealanders, and of course, an awful lot of English people. And as you know, there was a huge immigration. Um, millions of people left Ireland and they are now all returning to seek their ancestors. And over the years, we would have um, undertaken thousands of uh, people's uh, research and of course there's huge satisfaction when you find their ancestors and especially when you're able to put them in contact with living relatives which we would on probably 80% of our uh, searches. 
I suppose just to let people know as well, Eamon, that the main genealogical sources we would use here in North Tipperary um, include all the church records, all denominations, the births, deaths and marriages. We also have the Tithe Plotman books, which are land surveys of the 1830s, and the primary valuation lists, which are land surveys of the 1850s. And we're also a unique centre in that we're the only genealogy centre in Ireland that have all the gravestone inscriptions transcribed and they're exclusive to the centre. We also have all the civil births and marriages and we also have several other, of course the 1901 and 1911 census and several other important sources like the 1650s civil surveys, the 1660s heart money rolls and the 1840 poor law rate books have all be, also been inputted on our database. And I suppose the other thing I should let people know is that we also have an online research um, which is can be found at www.rootsireland.ie and on that website all the genealogy centres in Ireland and there's one in nearly all the 32 counties all their records are on that website and they can all be searched very easily and people from uh, across the world can do their research sitting in their own house. It's just amazing the facilities and what they're that people probably don't even know about. Well, this just is a lot of people, uh, first of all, just think of family history and then they don't really know where to start. But we would always suggest to people that they sit down, write, start with themselves, write down what they know and then contact us if they are want assistance or want to go back further. And I suppose just to let people know as well that the Roman Catholic and uh, church records are the kernel of their research and all of the parishes in North Tipperary have different commencement dates. We'll say the likes of um, Tumivara, the records commence in 1831. You might have Nina commence very early in 1795. You might have Portru, which are very late, commencing 1849. So depending on where you locate your ancestor will determine on, on how far back we can go with the research. So actually, how far can you go back? Well, usually we would say um, all of us um, who originated, which most of us did from the tenant farmers, you'd be talking about going back probably to the early 1800s or maybe the 1790s. Now, you can. we have gone back to maybe the 1740s if you find a headstone and somebody died maybe in 1801, aged 80 years of age, you've gone back to 1720. So that'll tell you how important the gravestone inscriptions are. And some places, they may not, the graves may not be marked. No, in some cases, um, and it was interesting many years ago, um, a small percentage of people erected headstones, and we believe the reason for that was that people lived in the area, they didn't move very far, and they kind of thought it might be a waste of money putting up a headstone, because the people would always know where the graves are. But a lot of people still uh, know where their ancestral grave are while they mightn't have the stone but a lot of people are now going back and putting erecting headstones and putting the older ancestors names on them which is a great idea brilliant idea and it, they'll be there for our uh, for living memory so if people want to contact you just uh, in, in county Tipperary, how did it go about it 
Well, like I said, they can contact us uh, here by phone. We're uh, located, which our phone number is 067-33850, or they can also email us at nortipareary genealogy at gmail.com, or they can visit us. We're open Tuesday to Friday at 9 to 4.30 p.m., and Geraldine and myself would be uh, only too delighted to help anybody trace their ancestors. Or if they want to go on Roots Ireland, they can search our records on Roots Ireland. All right, Nora. Nora, it's a real pleasure having you on down your way. And indeed, I suppose they can make an appointment and call down to you. Oh, anybody. They can just pop in and we, we do, they can make an appointment if they wish or if they just call in, we would accommodate anybody just when they walk in. And we would find as well, making appointments is great if you're local, but for farm people who might just turn up, we do our best to do the research for them while they're here in Nina or in Ireland. Absolutely brilliant facility. Many thanks for being with us on the programme. Thank you very much, Eamon. It's always a pleasure to have you and hope you, hopefully you'll come back and visit us soon again. I'm going to say hello to Noel Stanley here. Uh, how are you doing? I'm upstairs here in uh, the Heritage Centre. And uh, Noel, how are you doing? Very good. I remember with the Nina players. Uh, it's going for, you know, the Nina players are going for um, 80 years last October oh was God. the first time. And you celebrated the birthday, did you? Well, That's what we have here now, the exhibition in the Heritage Centre here in Nina. And it's here now for another two weeks. And it just traces the history of the players from 1943, October 43, when the first meeting took place, yeah. right up to date. There must be some story attached to it. Oh, there's lots of stories. There's a long, lot, lot, long, lots of long stories to be told there and that. So, um, no, it's, it's a very, like, like all dramatic societies and everything, you know, uh, it's great to be involved in these kind of things. And they're all history, and bringing history of part of the town with us, you know, and that, that thing. And we're just looking at some old programmes and that, and the people that founded it and worked up along through the 40s, 50s, 60s, and we're just remembering people like that, you know. It's part of the historic area of the town. Oh, it is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we've always been involved with the town hall just here in the, in the square in, in Nina as well, so we've always part of the historical part of Nina. Yeah, absolutely. So, Robert, you have lots of photographs and lots of pieces around here. Oh, yeah. As I say, we start back on the, the people who founded it back in 1943, and as you work your way around, we have things right up to, right up to date to um, plays that we've done, different festival photographs from different festivals that we've been at and things like that, and we're very... You know, we're always going to festivals, enjoy that kind of thing. And what's the most histi- historic part of this, uh, of, of, of the players? Well, I suppose the historic part is just the connection with the town, you know, and it's the continuation of all those years. Eighty years is a long time for this kind of thing to be going. Mm. So, um, you know, we're all just part of the, the heritage of the town. Now we're adding to it. We're hoping to add it in years to come. They'll be talking about us, please, God. Do you have many members? Uh, we keep a, you know, there's a group of about 30 members all the time over the years. You know, you don't get big, big numbers in it, and mm-hmm. it's just like, like most drama groups. It just takes a few to keep it going. Absolutely, and of course the history, as I say, around here, we were over at with Kevin over in uh, at the at the at the, the, the monuments over over beyond. Uh, yeah. In the castle, which was mighty. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I should like the with the likes of the castle. You know, that was derelict for years too, and it was only back in the last twenty-five years or that that they really got that going and make the. You know, it's all part of the heritage of the town. Okay, Lady Joe. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, how are you, Margaret Walsh? Is my hey, name. Margaret. Yeah. I'm only a new member in here. I'm only here thirty-eight years. Yeah. <laughs> so what impresses you about the the exhibition? The exhibition, uh, well, I suppose my husband did the, the graphics on it, uh, ably aided by Anne Scroop and Mike McMahon. 
Um, it, it's lovely because it brings back so many memories. We had so much fun traveling at festivals. I see Street Theatre, which we started in 1991 when I moved up here. I brought it from Cork. And just all the, fa you know, and it's great to see some of the people have gone on to be bigger and better things in the theatre world. So it's great for us Absolutely. to see that. Fantastic Heritage Centre here, isn't it? Oh, it's absolutely stunning. And to have this space to show off all our pictures, all our history and all the many awards that we have from festival, it's really, really nice to have the space here. Absolutely. Well done. And, and we'll come back at some stage and we'll kind of fill out the, the programme, uh, a full programme from, from this part of the County Tipperary, your Heritage Centre. Oh, we'll be here. <laughs> okay, absolutely. Thanks for sending a lot today. Okay. We're going to take another break. We're back with the final part of Down Your Way. Here from Nina. We're back just after these. Indeed, you're very welcome back to the final part of Down Your Way. We're coming to you from Nina this week. Cheryl Maher is with me. We're here in this historical part of County Tipperary. How are you doing, Cheryl? I'm very well, thank you very much. I'm you looking here at a map. Yeah, uh, the model, actually. Yeah. The model, yes. yeah. Okay, tell me about it. So basically, what you're in now, basically, is the, um, the old jail in Nina. And um, it's, been, it's, part of the, it's part of the complex of the, the Nina Hearst Centre right now. And, um, uh, and the genealogy centre, of course. And what happened was in 1838, it was decided to split the county into North Tipperary and South Tipperary. Tipperary, the second highest crime outside of Dublin. And they, got they, they decided to build a big massive prison here and the courthouse uh, back in um, that, that time, um, basically by 1842, it's all open for business. And they were taken prisoners um, straight, straight away, as the man said. But it was, two, it was a two day walk to Clonmel, basically. And that's why once again, this, this all- So we're looking at the prison here, are we? Yes, we are indeed. Yeah, okay. so we came in, come under, you come under the gatehouse, uh, as, as you're, uh, people, anybody been, been to the prison, they come under the gatehouse, down to the driveway, into the big kind of round tower building here, which is the governor's house, and he would live in the, the, the basement and the kitchen, and there's a double and a double height room, but to see all the gangways going across from all the, the cell blocks, mm -hmm. male cell blocks, there'd be a double height room up there, and in that there'd be a chapel, so on Sundays you could break rocks or go to mass, a little bit of variety. Okay. And then they have back here, we haven't forgotten about the women back here, is a ladies' prison, and then would run the prison laundries, and do all the, the, the laundry of the gentry and the prison officers at the time. Um, men would, would break rocks and do carpentry and for all that hard work they got a pint of milk and a pound of bread a day and that's why the p population went from about oh, from about a couple of, uh, a couple of t 50 or 60 to about 800 at the height of the famine. We were squeezing here into the prison in Nina if you, if you can imagine. And then the, and then the gatehouse uh, was for attempted murderers and murderers or condemned prisoners and unfortunately for two weeks there they were executed by hanging, public hanging there right in We just arrived at the gatehouse um, Everything happens in here. When you get to this gate and open this door, what happens? So basically, if you're, when you're brought into this section here, yep, when you're brought into this section here, this is for the condemned prisoners, so attempted murders and murders will be brought here um, to be executed. Um, the executioner tends to arrive after two weeks or three weeks, he'll pop his head in here, and, and unfortunately the job, the job will be done. There's four cells upstairs we're going up to see now, and they will have the, the prisoners will, will spend their, their final days up here in this part of the prison. We're going, we're, we're going up a very narrow stairs now. Yeah, we you tell me about the stairs. Um, the, basically, the stairs are, 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 are limestone stairs. The whole building is limestone, so it's, it's narrow and it's, it's, it's dark and it's, it's, it's cold. And that's exactly how they wanted it to, to portray. Um, there's a cellar. Uh, that's the, um, these are the cells now up here, aren't they? The cells there, yeah. And these are what there's, there's two cells, and there's four cells in total two on this side and two on that side. And there's two um, turnkey rooms. Turnkey were the guards' rooms, and the guards would have. Um, had a, a little bit more luxury, I suppose, with a fireplace and stuff. And as we up the final steps here to the gallows, and this is where the prisoners, after two weeks, would find their, their way to this part of the, the prison. Um, so they, that morning, they, you'll hear the rattle of the keys, and the, the sheriff will un unlock you from that print and bring up this room in here. And here's the, the execution room. In here will be a priest or pastor to give the last rites. 
and calm you down. And next, and next year, how would he calm you down? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Uh, a, 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 few, Kevin, a few decades later of the rosary. Kevin is here with us as well. Kevin, Kevin Christ. Kevin, yeah. execution room is just unreal. Well, you spent very little time in there. You were brought yes. from the sheriff's uh, room straight in here and the priest would be waiting. He'd give you the last rites. Yeah. As soon as he's finished, the executioner steps into the room puts the hood over your head and walks you out here onto the platform. It all happened very quick. Yeah. And we're looking across now at the church here. No, yeah. the church wouldn't have been there. Uh, that was just a field at the time. But all the public would be scattered out there watching and the prisoner would be walked out here. His legs are quickly tied. His hands are already tied. The hood is put over his head and the levers pulled. It happened very quick. Can you bend the story, isn't it? It's, 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 uh, it's hard to believe that this would have happened here in Nina. 17 men met their fate here. Um, like I said, it would have been a bit of science that had been crept in now because they were using, I suppose, the, the six-foot drop here to break the neck cleanly. There's the, the, in Nina, we can do two prisons at the same time. There's, there's two trap doors so they can walk out together, like the common brothers can walk out and, and be dropped down. And uh, if you can imagine two iron gates here, a big public uh, a day out, I suppose, the whole town was closed down. Everybody was brought up here to watch, to watch this event. So you can imagine the hustle and bustle and the... Um, and the executioner, of course, the, the governor only knew who the executioner was, so he, he would be in, in, wearing his own mask. And I'll, he I'll I can tell you two guys, uh, it is a miserable feeling to be in here. <laughs> it's not a nice feeling, no. And when you realise, when you look up here and, you can, and, and next to anybody's passing and you see the statue of the Virgin Mary, imagine that was the, the actual gallows for the, for the, for the prisoners. hard to, to realise that. There's yeah. a couple of prisoners, Kevin, that was here, the Karmic Brothers. Yeah, and you were talking about it's not a nice place to be, and especially if you're innocent. So they... Daniel and William Cormack would have given two weeks here waiting to be executed in the hope that there'd be a final clemency or an appeal. And every day passed and every hope faded until the final morning when they were brought out. And the boat of the brothers were merged out there. And the one thing that happened, the public did not turn up to watch it. Just uh, family and friends from Lockmore came over. Outside here, you would have seen mounted cavalry. Mm -hmm. And in front of them was armed militia with their bayonets drawn because they were expecting riots. But they were taken aback by the lack of the crowd. Were, 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 were the prisoners up here in the cell? Where was the cell? Their cell is just here. We dedicated one cell especially for the Cormac brothers. It was two cells, but there was three sets of brothers executed in here, so they knocked... Uh, two cells into one, so they could share a room. So now we're in the cell. Yeah, this is this is we've turned this into sort of an exhibition room. You can see all the seventeen men that met their fate here in, in Nina, all the different names, including the, the Comer Brothers at the, at the very bottom, and their um, the dates and that kind of stuff. Um, and you can see that the, the, when they decided to, to, to exhume the bodies and bring them back into to, to yeah. Lockmore, back in back in the, the 1900s, 1910, when the people of Nina decided to form a committee and um, exhume the bodies. So it's the 11th of May, 1858, that were executed? The ex yeah, the last two prisoners in Nina in 1858 were, ex were executed. Um, and the more, I suppose, the, the, the most controversial, and at the same time, two two boys were just, in, just, just ordinary labourers working over to one side of Lockmore yeah. and um, were... Um, suppose just just what, what what just what wrong place, wrong time, you know. What age did Uh Daniel was eight or twenty-two, and Willem was twenty-three. Okay. Sorry, Daniel was twenty-three, and Willem was twenty-six, and there were 
quite well respected I in their own parish because they were hard workers. You know, they'd done a bit of work for the landlord. They'd done their own little bit of farming and they worked in the forge. So they were, you know, quite okay uh, post-famine, you know. And uh, they had a, a rock-solid alibi for the time of the murder and that they were playing cards right. in a neighbor's house, which everyone verified. And actually, even I think Daniel was on the, the coroner's jury to decide uh, cause the death of Ellis. Okay, there were 17 altogether. You could be hanged for maybe not an, uh, a big crime, couldn't you? Well, it, it was attempt, attempted murder and murder were, were usually what they were, what were hung for. As oh, we, can, we can see over here on the list, we see three sets of brothers. We see the, uh, we see the, the, Hick, the, the Wades, the Connollys and, and the Cormacs. So it wasn't, it wasn't unusual to have uh, brothers being executed here in Nina. Okay. And uh, like I said, 1842 is when it opens for business. That's up to 1848. There's a lot of executions going on as the famine is, is, is taking hold in, in the county and people are, are, are make it, um, I suppose, having a lot of crime issues. But as we can see, th as, the, as the famine just starts to break, we see the numbers starting to die down. And by, by the last two guys, there's a 10 year gap almost to the last two guys from 1849 to 1858. And then public execution discontinued right across the British Empire. So from Canada all the way to Australia. Was when it went from public to private. Maybe you see Wicklow Jail has a very good example of a good. Yeah, a good, a yeah good many people come to visit where, where, the, where the Cormacs were held. We do. We have we have huge big numbers coming from all over the world. Uh, schools in particular uh, come to come to see and learn the history of the Cormac brothers and, and the museum and, and the jail. Um, a lot of young people don't even realise this is a, a prison at one stage, and it's quite it's quite in in interesting. And they they all find it very very interesting. You know. You know. <laughs> Kevin, miserable place, as I say earlier. This place. It is a very welcoming place, and it, it's totally designed not for comfort of the prisoners. Mm -hmm. They built the windows actually about six foot up, so they couldn't actually look out and look mm -hmm. down onto the air to see other prisoners. Mm -hmm. It was meant to be isolation, hardship. God forbid if you broke uh, any of the rules in here, you were put on what I would call the hamster wheel. Mm -hmm. and. That was for 24 hours, five minutes on, five minutes off, and that pumped the water around the, the prison. And I believe after 24 hours, you'd be gone half insane from doing that. Okay, there's a, there's a tunnel, isn't there, here? There the was a tunnel. There is a tunnel fr from the actual courthouse. Um, the tunnel goes under and into the, the basement of the, the, the governor's mansion, shall we say. And so that's why the prisoners didn't have to come around and out and in through the front gates. They were taken down into, into the basement, up into the, down, down to the tunnel, sorry, into the basement. And then they were probably booked in or they were taken into either breaking rocks or down into the laundry, that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> So that's our programme for this week. My thanks to all our guests on this week's programme. Don't forget, we'll be back with another edition of Down Your Way at the same time next week. From all of us on the programme, have a very good week. Bye-bye. <laughs>